Hi, welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is episode 36 in the book of Hebrews titled, The Lord Disciplines Us as Children, where we discuss Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. I am Joel Harford, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, we're in the practical application section of the book of Hebrews. As you've said, a the outline for the book is a superior mediator leads to a superior covenant, leads to a superior life. And so we're in the superior life portion. And last week we talked about how we are to lay aside every weight in sin, which clings closely and look to Jesus. Today, as we discuss verses 5 through 13, we get kind of the, the sober topic of discipline. What Can you give us a brief overview of what we're going to find in these verses? These are very sobering verses. You know, we think about that godly life that the author to Hebrews wanted them to lead and that the Holy Spirit gave to all of us 20 centuries now of people who have read the book of Hebrews. He really had in mind every generation of Christians. Uh, The godly life, the life of faith, is going to also be a life of fatherly discipline from the Lord. We are going to need to be disciplined because of the relentless pull of the flesh toward the temptations that the world and the devil are applying to us. We are going to stray, sadly. We don't need to. We're not slaves to sin. We don't ever need to sin, but we will. And when we sin, sometimes the Lord is going to need to bring discipline into our lives. And so this is really a timeless uh, warning chapter for us to respond properly, to expect the Lord's discipline and to respond properly when it comes. For the sake of our audience, I'm going to read verses 5 through 13. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, Lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So my first question to you is, what is verse 5, which is where we started, where he says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? How does verse 5 relate to verse 4, which talks about, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? Well, uh, he's assuming that the followers of Christ here, these Jewish professors of faith in Christ, are having a struggle against sin. And we can just stop right now and say, if you're not, you're not a Christian. Okay, Romans chapter 8 makes it very plain. The Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, will dress you for battle and lead you into battle every day against your sin. And if he's not, if that's not going on, if you're not being led by the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the flesh, you are not alive spiritually. You're dead. And so uh, they are battling against sin, but they have, it seems, also forgotten that God chooses providentially to bring hardships into their lives that chastise them and discipline them in reference to their sin. 
And so he needs to address them concerning this because I think as he looks at the afflictions they're going through, the difficulties they're, they're going through, I think, he thinks, it's reasonable to assume some of it may be fatherly discipline. We don't know that all of it is fatherly discipline, but some of it may be. And so we'll talk about that, I think, in this podcast and how we, how do we know the difference? How do we know we're just suffering because we're in the world? And how, how do we know when something actually is fatherly discipline? But he's, he's bringing up their struggle against sin and then God's discipline. And honestly, they're two of the same aspect, a struggle against sin, God getting involved too through fatherly discipline. And what do you make out of this word exhortation? And have you forgotten the exhortation? It's, it's almost like the fact that discipline exists should encourage us. I guess. Um, but it's really remarkable. Again, the, the, the view that the author to Hebrews has of the scripture is remarkable. And he says it very well for us. Uh, the word of God is living and active, chapter 4. Then earlier in chapter 3, we saw, um, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So the Holy Spirit is saying that to you right now as you read Psalm 95 there in that context. Here it's Proverbs 3, and your father is speaking to you when he says, my son. So it's really remarkable because if you read Proverbs, it's the the, uh, advice of a human father, Uh, maybe Solomon, given to one of his sons or all of his sons, saying, my son this and my son that. And so here's this human author to the scriptures writing to his maybe late teenage son because he addresses some pretty serious issues there in Proverbs that are not for children. Um, So he's uh, addressing his growing son. But the author to Hebrews is like, no, 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 it's flying above all that. Your almighty heavenly father is talking to you, all of you Christians, through Proverbs 3 quite remarkable. And he uses the word exhortation. This is an exhortation, which is how you should respond to fatherly discipline. He's exhorting you concerning your response to the discipline. Yeah. As he begins the quote, he says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you're proved by him. So what are these two opposite errors that he exhorts them not to do? And then can you explain kind of what each of them how each of them would play out in someone's life. Well, it's a very good question that you ask, and it's good to see that. There are two opposite errors right here in the text. Very different. The first is to make light of the Lord's discipline, to blow it off, to think of it as a light thing. The way that would work is because discipline, fatherly discipline from God, has to do with providence, has to do with things happening in your life. Uh, Discipline always has to do with something hard, something difficult uh, that comes into your life. Uh, In this case, it's intentional. It's not accidental. The Lord is bringing it to you because of your sins, specifically because of your sin nature or something you've done. He brings a discipline into your life. Um, And so it's a providential crossing, something that happens that you would not choose. You would not want it. It's bringing pain into your life. It is painful. He'll say it. No discipline is pleasant, but painful. So he's brought some painful providence into your life. But you don't know, is it discipline or is it just living in this world. How can we know? So let me pause right now and try to answer that question. Uh, the way I would answer that question is, anytime something painful happens to you, you should, you should turn it up to God in prayer and ask him, am I being disciplined for sin? Every time. Now it's different if you're going to another brother or sister and they're going through a painful trial. That's a whole different matter. You don't want to be Job's friends. Like, all right, come on out with it. What's the secret sin? There must be something you're doing. That's what Job's friends did. That's not what we should do with each other. Although I think a pastor can do it generally, like I'm doing right now in this podcast, generally teaching the whole church about it, that whenever you are uh, suffering, you should ask God 
am I being disciplined for sin? So that's, I think, a good procedure. Ask the Lord and then listen to what the Spirit says. In any case, these folks were just, I think, not even thinking it was a possibility. They were just living their lives and they were hurting and, and hard things were happening. Or maybe they thought, maybe I'm being disciplined for sin, but like, nah. And so they're making light of it. They're not taking it seriously. They're not doing what the discipline is meant to do, which is to bring them to repentance, to bring them to brokenness over the sin and repentance. So that's the first um, negative possibility with discipline, was to make light of it. And I actually think that's the normal state uh, for American Christians that I know. Hard things happen to everybody. And people just say, oh, bad things happen. Bad things, and they hurt, and they're sad, and they just go to bed. And they they wait it out, and they miss the lessons. I think even... If you have a strong view of God's providence, you might just say, oh, it, was the, it was the Lord's will. It was the Lord's but you're will. not thinking, well, is yeah. there a reason? Is he trying to teach me some tough lessons here? For sure. And, and so they, they make light of it by, I think, first and foremost, prayerlessness. They, they don't ask God, am I being disciplined for sin? They're, they're just making light of it. So that's the normal state. And so I would just urge you as a hearer of this podcast, if, if you're going through a hard time, do this for yourself. You know, just ask the Lord, search me, O God, and know me. Psalm 139 is a great verse on this. 23, 24, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and test me and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's how you do not make light of the Lord's discipline. But then the flip side is to get crushed by it, to think this is God and he hates me. He's against me. He's trying to destroy me. He's casting me off. I have no hope. I'm such a wretched, horrible sinner. There can be no forgiveness for me. And so you're just crushed and and emaciated and, and stripped of all energy and all hope is gone. And that's the opposite error and that's wrong too. Do not, do not lose heart or be discouraged, be crushed down by the Lord's discipline. Not at all. Kind of reminds me after the sin of Ai, uh, the sin of Achan which uh, Joshua didn't know was the sin of Achan, but they had lost that battle, the second battle, you know. He's on his He's face. He's on his why face. God, why? You know, it's like, get up. Israel has sinned. Don't, don't, don't get wiped out. Now is the time for action. And so, you know, for me, I think the issue here is to be, to be uh, energetically dealing with our sin and know that all discipline leads to repentance. Now, at this point, I want to stop and and point you toward a resource that's been tremendously helpful to me. And that is Thomas Watson, a Puritan who wrote on the nature of true repentance. And he says there are six elements of true repentance. And they are sight of sin, so you can see it. Sorrow for sin, you're grieving over it. Confession of sin, where you tell God what you did. Shame for sin, where you have a sense of burning uh, in it. Hatred of sin, where you are repulsed by it and, and, and you hate it with every fiber of your being like Christ would. And then uh, turning from sin, so forsaking it, turning away. Those six elements, those are together the nature of true repentance. You should think all discipline should lead me to that. Mm. That's, uh, that's huge. I think you're right. Most people do take lightly the discipline of the Lord. But when you put those there, you see it's, it's a weighty thing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, for a minute just what could be discipline. And I, I talked about it in general a moment ago. Anything that you don't like, anything that hurts you, anything that you would consider what we would use in a more mature language, adverse providence, providence that crosses you, that is not what you would have chosen for yourself. Um, but look at it this way. Everything is fair game. Everything. Anything you value in this world, and that includes people, you know, yourself, your own health, your, your physical health. It involves your loved ones, your, your spouse, 
your children, your parents, you know, brothers, sisters, um, friends, any human, human being that's important to you. Um, and I think that's all the more if you're in a position of leadership, like David was a king. Remember how he sinned with the sinful census and his own people suffered with a plague as a result. So that can happen. Um, also, any possessions, any privileges, uh, any, uh, a, a job, um, any kind of responsibility you may have, your house, your car, anything, all of it belongs to God, all of it. And it's all fair game. And that's, that's scary. And I, I actually think we should fear the Lord's discipline when we sin. We should fear what God will do if we sin. What reason does the author give us for not being weary when approved by him in verse 6? Well, because the text says the Lord loves those that he accepts as children and he, and he chastens them. So it really is a display of the tender affection of God for us. We may not see it that way, but if this is true, and I think it is absolutely true, it's right in the text, God is loving you by disciplining you, then you can see the weight and the truth of my assertion based on Romans chapter 1 where it says, but God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. He said God gave them over to sinful desires. I think that in this world, the worst thing God can ever do to a human being is to give them over to sin. In the next world, the worst thing he can do is to send them to hell. And the one leads to the other. So in this world, there is nothing worse that God can do. And you think about what I'm saying then, that means that could, that could be a life of full prosperity, success, in every respect, honored, wealthy, successful, and healthy, but God has given you over. There's nothing worse that could be for you, nothing worse, because all those things will eventually be taken from you in death, and then you'll go to hell. So for me then, conversely, the best thing that God can do for us in our sins is this, to discipline us like a loving father. So we just need to see it as like, God's not giving me over. He's, gonna f he's fighting my sins. And he's calling on me to fight too. <laughs> so I think yeah. that's it. I love how you brought up Romans 1 and God giving them over because at the end of verse 6, it says, he chastises every son whom he receives. Mm. So that receiving will be the opposite of him giving you over. Yeah. So if he's casting you out, then yeah, he might delay, delay punishment, not discipline because he's going to send you to the fire of hell. But if he's receiving you, he's going to purify you, which is painful. It's the pruning. I think we talked about it on a previous podcast. It's the equivalent of Jesus pruning the, the vine. Absolutely. And, and it also shows just the importance of our own memory, uh, the importance of history. You know, God disciplines us so that we'll remember and not do it again. We're supposed to remember how painful it was. Remember what it was like when, I mean, think about David and all that he went through after the sin with Bathsheba. And he remembered it very clearly. And it was a strong message to him concerning the way he had lived his life. So God means for it to be painful. He means for us to remember it and to learn from it. But it's also temporary. It doesn't last long. Um, he, he uh, you know, scourges us. There's strong words here. Um, you know, he scourges or chastises. It's a, you know, he stretches you out and gives you a, a whacking on the, on, the, on the back, you know, spiritually, metaphorically. It's painful. Um, but he's displaying love toward you. What attitude are we supposed to have in this? He says, did you have to endure it? He says, it is for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. So how, how do we properly receive this discipline from the Lord? Well, I, what I said earlier is the number one thing is the six elements of repentance. Do that. Okay. See your sin. 
and hate it and confess it and turn from it, all that. Um, but also endure. Don't give up in your Christian life. That would be the idea of, of despair. Don't give in to despair. But bear it however long. Ask the Lord to remove it. Um, repent. Sometimes uh, it's pretty clear from 1 Corinthians 11 uh, where the Lord there is talking or Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper. And he says, basically, if you deal with yourself on your sin, God won't have to deal with you. So, you know, search out your own sins and, and kill them. Destroy them. Um, take vigorous action on them. Then God won't have to discipline you. He's very patient. He doesn't bring discipline right away. Uh, sometimes he waits to see, you know, if you'll just deal with it yourself. And if so, then you're partner with him, with the Holy Spirit and your own holiness. But if you have developed a blind spot and you're getting hardened in a certain area and you're just starting to move in a direction, God will move out. So endure, it means don't give up in your Christian life and uh, bear with it. And it may go on longer than you want. You say, all right, I got it. I, I get it. I Lesson understand. learned. You Lesson learned. Give me yeah. all my stuff back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got another yeah. four, four weeks of sickness or some other thing. It's like, yeah, that can happen. The author makes a comparison between the earthly father and our heavenly father. And how, what are the similarities here and, and what can we learn from this? But then what are the dissimilarities as well? Yeah, he's talking in, in normal life, like wisdom literature, just everyday kind of patterns, the things that we see in the book of Proverbs. You know, generally, fathers, decent fathers, discipline their children, and the children aren't crushed by it. You know, so this is a how much more argument that he's making here. If, if we, that's why we were with our earthly fathers, and they were, you know, as Jesus said, you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. So we're evil fathers. And we knew enough to discipline our kids when they're acting out. I and mean, probably our motives weren't perfect. You know, they embarrassed us in public, something like that. But at any rate, the fathers did discipline them. And we received discipline like that from our fathers. And we respected them for it, he's saying. We, we honored them. We didn't turn in rebellion. Well, how much more should we respect the one who created our, our spirits, he said, the one who gave us life to begin with, God Almighty. So the idea here is, first of all, a word to fathers, do this. This is a clear teaching in the book of Proverbs. Discipline your son and he will live. All right, don't neglect the rod of discipline. You need to, godly fathers need to do this. They need to use corporal punishment, even though some states and countries would even like to outlaw it. Um, you know, and the idea there is a very measured, you know, no damage to the, to the body, but there's a tingling of the nerve endings. Um, or other, as they get older, you're going to do disciplines that are not physical, but they might bring physical consequences, like they can't go on a trip that they'd planned on, the teenagers or some others. We fathers need to discipline our children. But conversely, the lesson here is that we need to receive discipline from our Heavenly Father. Yeah. And what's the outcome of this discipline, as he says in verse 10? It produces the uh, harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. It produces, it produces peace. It produces fruit. Uh, good outcomes come. So you get to a good place after it's all done. You learn your lesson. The Lord is restoring you. He's healing you. You think what he did with Job, right? He brought a lot of disciplines in Job's life. You know, and you're like, was it discipline? I think it was. Job repented. So he acted like it was discipline. The Lord accepted the repentance. So in the end, though, he restored and he healed. And, uh, it, but ultimately, the issue here is it brings about um, the peaceful fruit of righteousness if you've been trained by it. So it brings about righteousness and maturity and godliness. If a Christian feels like they aren't being disciplined by the Lord or it's been a very long time, should they feel worried? Because the author says, if you are left without discipline, you're illegitimate children. Mm. So should a Christian feel worried or should they 
just assume God has them in a peaceful resting place right now? How should they think through that? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I think if you're aware of sin in your life, you should move out against it. You know, keep in mind, God is very patient. So I don't think we should assume God has never or never will discipline me. Um, so I think the idea there is, I don't think we should, if we have the testimony of the Spirit that we're children of God, um, it could be though that if you're aware of a sin, because that's what we're talking about here, and it's not getting disciplined, doesn't mean that God's cast us off or are not truly children of God. I think what he's uh, saying here is if there's never a pattern of discipline in your life, if you're just, you're going on bolder and bolder in sin and you're prospering and succeeding, then be afraid at that point. That's what he's getting at. You mentioned the outcome of the discipline, the peaceful fruit of righteousness, but I want to come back to one phrase. The author says that we may share his holiness. What does it mean to share God's holiness? Yeah, I, I, I go, my mind immediately goes to um, to 1 John 1, 5, that, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And so the idea here is that we would um, hate wickedness and love righteousness and then live that out in our lives like Jesus did. Whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus did, it says in First John. So there's a sense of imitation. Sharing in his holiness, the word holiness to me, I've been trained by theologians, means separation. So that we may share in his separation from evil. Or again, Habakkuk 1.13, God, God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. So there's a sense of I will be separate from all evil things, from all wicked things. So we are to share in his holiness. I love the word share because we are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians said. We're created to be like him. And so this is the, the consummation of us being created and then redeemed in the image of God so that we can be like him. Yeah, picking up on this holiness, the author is going to mention this in verse 14, which we'll talk about next week. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's a very important verse. Look forward to talking about that. My next question has to do with verse 12. He gives this exhortation. He says, therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. What is he saying with this language of, you know, lift up your drooping hands, strengthening weak knees. What does this mean? Sure, but maybe in context it has to do with people that have been beaten down by the Lord's discipline and they're discouraged. And he's, I think we were joking a moment ago about, um, about Joshua being on his face and God said, get up. And so this may be God's way of saying to them who have been kind of crushed and beaten down by some disciplines, hey, it's time to not be discouraged or to lose heart. Get up now. Strengthen yourselves Get back in the race. Remember how the chapter began. Run with endurance, a race marked out before us. If you look at that, it's like drooping hands, weak knees, straight paths for the feet, lame, out of joint. That doesn't sound like anybody's running the race with endurance there. They're off the course or they're laying on the ground or they're in a, in the, in a hospital. <laughs> you know, It's like, come on now, get healed, get strong, and let's resume running, the running, the race of holiness and of Christlikeness. So I think it's an exhortation to stop licking your wounds and feeling sorry for yourself. So again, I picture these Jewish people who had made a profession of faith in Christ with severe external adverse circumstances. And maybe they're feeling sorry for themselves. Again, they're being tempted to turn their back on Jesus. Don't do that. But in a way, he's saying, get up and get going again. Yes, things are hard. God's disciplining you for your, for your sins. God's training you. Let's get up and get going again. So the way I would do this practically is um, 
Turn your weakness up to God in prayer. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So just take your weak, your feeble arms and weak knees and all that and turn them up to God in prayer. One last thing I think about is horizontally. Look around for people who are like this. People in the church who are weak and feeble and struggling and help them get up and resume running. That's a good lead into my next question. How do you gently and in Christian love help a Christian who is maybe feeling very burdened by the Lord's discipline? Um, or maybe, conversely, they're, they're getting a lot of discipline, and it seems kind of obvious to everybody else. It would be a situation similar to Job, and obviously you don't want to be, a, a, um, you don't want to be an insensitive jerk and just assume it's the Lord's discipline. But, but at the same time, the Scripture gives us this teaching. How do you gently share the possibility of the Lord's discipline and encourage someone to seek that without being judgmental and bringing condemnation? Well, the big problem with Job's friends is they didn't ask. They told him. I mean, that's, that's bad. I mean, you look at some of the statements his friends made once things started getting heat, heated up. Like my favorite is, I forget which one of the so-called friends said, is not your wickedness endless? I'm like, <laughs> what in the world? What in the world? What do you, I mean, who are you? Do I even, do you even know me? My wickedness is not endless. You know, I spend most of my days caring for the poor and needy and serving God and praying for my kids. No. <laughs> so uh, instead of doing that, what I would say is, first of all, discern. Is it a teachable moment? Are they able to hear? Sometimes you just got to put an armor on people and weep with them because of things that are going on in their lives. But if that's been going on a while now, you know, we're six months in, nine months in, there's no, no development. Things aren't getting any worse, but they're not recovering and they're not moving on. Um, yeah, I might even read this chapter, you know, and say, you know, one thing that, that I've learned is whenever I'm going through a hard time, there's some things I should do. And I would make discipline only one of a list of things. Like one of the things is just take your struggles to God in prayer. Cast your burdens to Him in prayer. So don't that doesn't have anything to do with sin. It's just you're going through a hard time. Just what do you do biblically when you go through a hard time? Count it pure joy, those things. But one of the things that you should do also, not just counting it pure joy, one thing you should do though is ask the Lord, Lord, am I being disciplined for sin? And that's what I, that's what I like to do. That's what I, I need to do. And I would encourage you to do that too. I don't, I don't see any sin in your life, brother. I'm not seeing that, but I'm, I'm saying something that you could do. Ask the Lord to search you and show you if there's something. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. My final question has to do with, is there a corporate application, like maybe for a group of Christians? Like, let's say uh, if our church, maybe we would feel that we were sinning as a group, not you know stepping out in faith to do X ministry or Y ministry, or maybe holding back, or uh, how would a a group of Christians discern the Lord's discipline? Because everything we've been talking about so far is more individually based. Yeah, that's a great question. We do, as Americans, tend to think all the time as individuals, you know, just me and the Lord. But, you know, the Lord does sometimes put disciplines and chastisements on whole churches. I mean, look at Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches. He's dealing with them as a group, you know, the whole church at Laodicea. Or the church at, at Ephesus, you have forsaken your first love. So I think the point is to, to have times of prayer, corporate prayer, times of confession of, of sin corporately, where you have some time. Uh, and again, that would be, you know, things are going difficultly. Uh, some things have happened. Maybe a number of people have gotten sick um, or some other things. It's like, come together. Hey, let's pray. Let's seek the Lord and see if there's some sin in our lives and uh, what ways we can repent and help each other. But, you know, like I said to you a few moments ago when it talks about you know, lifting up your drooping hands, strengthening your weak knees. You can do that collectively. Just looking around. Who's who's struggling and who can I help? Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts? 
Yeah, this is a vital chapter, and I would just um, I would reiterate the call that this chapter has, which is to take the Lord's discipline seriously. Don't get crushed by it, but don't make light of it. If you're going through hard times, cast your burdens on the Lord, for He cares for you. Yes, count it pure joy, because you're growing and developing. But also, raise the question with the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Have I sinned, Lord? Is there something in my life that's displeasing to you? Show it to me, and lead me to repent from it. Thank you, Andy. That was episode 36 in the book of Hebrews. Please join us next time for episode 37, where we discuss Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. The title is, Strive for Holiness Without Which No One Will See the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.